Kia ora and welcome to Asian and Aotearoa. I'm Jenna and in this episode Samlo is back to chat about winning MasterChef and his journey since he was last here. We talk about his win, food politics, identity, spirituality, self-growth, the cookbook he's working on, community and a lot more. Sam is a 30-year-old Fiji-born Chinese Kiwi, a food and flavour creative slash expert, a coffee pro, an indie movie lover, an extremely good gift giver, an Aquarius with strong Capricorn placements and great skin, who happens to be a close friend of mine. He is also single and not on any dating apps, so I'll just leave that there. Okay, on with the episode. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's really exciting. I love your podcast and um, full circle. It's coming. I'm back on, baby. For those who have been living under a rock, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Sam Lowe. I am, well, currently New Zealand's Master Chef of 2022. Pretty wild times for me, um, as this is like literally hot off the press. Yeah, I am a previous New Zealand barista champion. New Zealand Latte Art Champion, a finalist in the world, and Kiwi Chinese, born in Fiji and raised up here in Tamaki. Yes, and an Aquarius sun, Sag moon, and a Pisces rising, we think. Yeah, and a reflector is my human yes, design. Yes, human design, <laughs> yes. First of all, congrats. Thank you. It feels really, like, it's not something that you can prepare yourself to feel. Do you know what I mean? It's like winning a reality TV show. There is no kind of, like, self-help book on that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of like, you just have to live through it. And right now, it feels really good. Yeah, so that was first of all. And second of all, how dare you keep such a secret from me for so long? I mean... I was closeted for over 25 years. So what's another four months of when I knew I won the competition to telling my best friends? Actually, I didn't even tell you guys. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So it's kind of like the show did it for me. Yeah. Okay. But we will get to that. So much has happened and changed since you were last here for us both individually and for our friendship. Let's start with how your life was last year pre-MasterChef. Pre-MasterChef, basically what has happened, I have worked more in the food media space, so I've done a lot more brand collaborations on my Instagram and TikTok, then lockdown happened. Mm. Yeah, so really not that much. But then during a lockdown, I kind of went, not viral, but I was on the news for a lot of food things I was creating on Instagram, and uh, that kind of gained a lot of attention. And once we were out of lockdown, this opportunity came up. Oh, and prior to that, I had a I had a partner. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because we did kind of talk about that at the end of the last podcast. Yeah, um, so yeah, so I'm still single. Same. <laughs> uh, <sorry>. um, <laughs> Just casting it out there. Anyone listening, you know, I'm not too picky. I do like food though, so you must like food as well. Anyways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so then you auditioned for MasterChef at the beginning of the year. And I remember so clearly because you came to mine with your audition dish, you were like buzzing. And do you remember I was like, I'm going to take a photo of this for when you win MasterChef and you're going to be real famous. <laughs> and now here we are. Oh my God, maybe you're like the, what is that? Like the, the, the prodigy child or I don't know, what do you call it? What do you call it? Like the omen? Like, like a psychic, a great manifester. A psychic, a great like, manifester. I'm, just, yeah. I'm you. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess I can briefly talk about the audition process. Basically, part of it was to cook the dish that you wanted to audition with in front of the food producers and do an on-screen test. So then they kind of go, okay, you're not completely awkward on screen and explain your dish, talk about why you want to be on the show. And then they go through a couple of processes. Yeah. And then you cook at the audition space. I remember after cooking that day, I headed to your apartment and yeah, let you try my dish. And I had a really good feeling about that audition. I don't know why, but yeah, something something felt really good. Yeah, it was delicious. Am I surprised? No. So how on earth do you prepare to go away for a reality show like this? Not just in a practical sense, but also like mentally... Emotionally, spiritually, how? I think I've done a lot of work, right? In the last 18 months, especially, I've done a lot of self-work in terms of like my spiritual health, Mm. my mental health Mm. and my physical well-being and also knowing when things are too much or not enough. And so going into that competition, I knew I had nothing to lose but everything to gain. I think it goes back into like being a model minority, And when I was working through the spaces of within the coffee realm, I had a lot of popularity and and grew a large following in the community of followers. And then when I started dabbling in food, I started growing a larger network. And then I got closer into my cultural heritage, right? And when given this opportunity to be in a space where it is mainstream, and I somehow have kind of, you know, put and on myself to become this model minority. I was just like, it was a no-brainer going into the show that that was my main objective. I didn't go into the show thinking I was going to win with my cuisine because, again, it's like, if I knew that that had been done before, then I would have walked in with that mentality. But because it hasn't, I didn't. In my head, I was just like, well, how can I walk into this competition and win in my own terms? And that was by being the representation that I wish I've seen. And I wish that there was more of. So regardless of how I placed in that competition, I would have won in my own sense. I'm so proud of you and I so admire you for going in there and being really you, like knowing you as a friend, having tasted your food, knowing how you cook, and then seeing you share this with the rest of New Zealand is like major, amazing. it's, It's funny how like just being is so hard for a lot of people, right? And just being yourself and living your truth and exposing your truth is like quite hard. And it's funny, it's like in the last 18 months since I've come out to my parents, you know, I've used that truth as my strength and it's empowered me to kind of feel a sense of pride and purpose with everything that I do, especially in my art form, which is food. Mm. And yeah, being able to express that and showcase that on national television, like that's wild, you know? Like I was scared that they would be like, no, that's too much representation for us. So um, so that's kind of like my mentality going in. Talk to me about some memorable and or significant moments that happened during the show that you feel proud of, excluding the win, obviously. Ooh, okay. There was a particular challenge that we were presented and I cooked a dish that I think represented something that was uh, personal, right? And it was just like one of my objectives in cooking political food in, in the competition. And it wasn't celebrated by everyone. And that kind of, yeah, it, it hurt a lot, actually. It, it felt like I was regressing back into the times when I was being othered, right? And this time it was within my cuisine. So after that challenge, I kind of got back into the contestant's house and 
I sat all the contestants down and I said, this is how I feel. Wait, how did you do? Were you like, um, excuse me, everyone, we're having a... Yeah, it was basically <laughs> like grab a, a, a butter knife and hit the glass, did essentially. You? Yeah, basically. Yeah. I, I can't remember what exactly I did, but I just said that, hey, everyone, that there, there's something I really need to talk to all of us about because I think we can't, you know, cook in this competition by just focusing on Eurocentric cuisine if we want to showcase different ethnic minorities and kind of the diaspora of food in Aotearoa. And so then I kind of sat them all down and I said, like, we need to be cooking food that's honest and represents us. And what's funny is that kind of half, well, actually everyone kind of spoke out and responded positively and said, like, you know what, you're right. Like, I didn't walk into that challenge cooking food that I would have been proud of or food mm. that represents me. So I think that was one moment where I was just like, this is impact and this is like a positive change that I have imparted onto the show. You know, even if I just get out on this, it means I've done something. Yes. Hello, leadership. <laughs> <laughs> um, other proud moments. I think just literally it's just like when I feel like I'm getting well-received comments from the judges about a Chinese dish that I've created through assimilation right assimilation of ingredients that I normally wouldn't use but it's available around me or presented to me in a challenge and staying true to it being a Chinese dish and I think if I've done well in a challenge such as the Matariki one where I did green dumplings um, and oh god they looked so good <laughs> and winning that challenge with that dish mm. um that that gave me hope that I could win this competition cooking my food. Let's talk about your choices for the last cook. The judges using chopsticks, the congee. Was there ever an instance where you considered dialing back the Chinese-ness for the show? No, because my intention wasn't to win. I would have dialed back if my intention was to win, right? Because it would be that fear of like, oh, it's not Eurocentric enough. Mm. So, um... Because I kind of walked into the competition being like, even if I got out at like 14, I would still say, hey, maybe, you know what? Like I've won in my own regards. Mm. But the fact I was in the finale, it was actually like, let's dial up the Chinese-ness. Yes. You know, I was just yes. like, I was like, I want the judges to eat with chopsticks. Yeah. You know, and I was like, I want Chinese bowls. Like I yes. want all these things because it's so important to me. And I think there is the sense of like, you need to be eating with the utensils it should be eaten with as well because then, therefore, it's an overall experience and not just flavour. Look how being so intentional that whole way served you and then how that has had a ripple effect on those around you. You know, like obviously that's all I could have asked for being on that show. And then everything else, including the win, was just like a plus on top of that. Yeah, so the grand finale, we're all at mine, we're watching it. You haven't told anyone that you've won. How did you feel before it all was unveiled? The thing is that like I, a lot of what I do is for the community, right? And you guys are a big part of that. So whatever you guys feel is exactly what I feel. I was which really is like stressed. Yeah. So I was stressed with you guys. Oh my god. But also because I knew, I've known for like, you know, over 3 months that I've won, I had to lie around you guys and I, I had to lie to everyone being like I don't know who won, you know? And it's almost like I've started believing that lie. <laughs> like I was ah, okay. Yeah, so You're I was like, like <laughs> I was as I was watching the finale, I was kind of going like 
oh my god, like, do I actually win? Because I don't know. It's like Elliot seems to be doing really well. <laughs> like amnesia. Yeah. But then it's like I knew. Yeah, I knew, obviously. So, um, and uh, it just felt so good. When you guys all found out and was cheering, it just felt like this giant weight lifted off my shoulders. And it's like, I've said this in a lot of press already, but it's just, it honestly feels like I'm coming out again. But the reason why I say that is because it's like, I could have told you guys, you know? And I could have been like... I know. You know, I because we were actually given permission to tell one person. Like, our closest and dearest, right? Because obviously mental health reasons. Yes. But I decided not to. Because it's like, I just, I just, that fear of like me getting in trouble or like someone feeling upset that I've done it. it, it, It's exactly the same as like coming out. Um, But then it's like, once I've done it, it's just this like weird relief of like, now it's like, okay, I can live my truth again. So it's like. Yeah. Oh my god. Because we probably we spoke about MasterChef a lot. So and much. you had to sit through me giving like this full debrief, my full like critiques and analysis and predictions, and you're sitting there the whole time knowing. I, I <laughs> was I, there a moment when you're like, oh, I'm just gonna fucking tell her. There was like a fun game going around in my head, being like, oh, I want to know who's like the closest into piecing it all together. Um, so it's, it's great. That's why I always ask you like, mm, who's your favorite? Who don't you like? Why? And yeah. like, um, yeah. <laughs> and so, so all these is just like, just to see where people ha- have kind of like gone with like guessing how the show has been progressing into the finale. And then we were all like screaming and crying on Sunday. I was quite emotional. I didn't realize I cried that much on the finale as well. Like I've, that was quite long ago. Like I don't actually remember. And like, we were cooking on pure adrenaline. That was a long day of filming. And, like, there's no way we could remember what we've done, what we've cooked, um, the details around that, and especially that what we've said. So for me to even, like, piece together that that ooh, that two-minute dialogue to camera where I was talking about art and yeah. culture, like, I don't remember that. Wow. I don't remember that. It was good. Wow. That was a great. Yeah. That was great. Thank you. Um, yeah, when that moment when I think it's Nadia who announces it and it cuts to you and you put your hand to your face. Oh, my God, that moment just makes me want to cry. So at the beginning of the year when I was getting my hair done, there was this woman sitting next to me and I overheard her saying something like, oh, I hate that Chinese food. It's like so gluggy and gross. And I mean, okay, each to their own, but also food is political. Yeah. What do you think? I think that says a lot about that person. <laughs> I know. Can you imagine how bland? Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, wouldn't want to go to her dinner party, let's be honest. That is, you know, potentially that is like a caricature of like Chinese food, right? And, you know, I, I think that's like an old way of doing it. And I think Chinese culture and Chinese people have been painted that for so long. Mm. It is movements like what a lot of uh, people... I don't know. I wouldn't say like like me, but you know, yes, like, like yourself. You. Um, <laughs> like me? No, no, it's like, yeah. like you. <laughs> no, but you know, we're we're educating, right? We're not saying, hey, you're like, you're ignorant, you're a bigot, like you don't know what you're talking about. But instead, you could educate and connect through empathy. And I think, um, if we do that approach, it's more impactful. And that's kind of what I've been doing, and that's how I've always approached life because it's kind of like it's understanding, but aggression never really works for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, for me. Yeah, for me. 
talk to me about your relationship with your community. Yes. So I'm a person who moves around quite a lot. And also I meet lots of people all the time. And I create connections a lot as well. It doesn't mean that I let go of the connections when I meet new ones. It, it just means that I'm constantly looking for energy and kind of building a community around me. It's really important for me to have a sense of... I guess, atmospheric kind vibe. of vibe. Yeah, yeah, vibe, vibe. <laughs> Basically, it's like wherever I go, I need to have like a community that vibes in the same kind of wavelength, right? So then I feel safe, mm. I can feel recharged, and also I can feel um, trusted. And I've done that for all the cities that I've lived in, such as Melbourne and Vancouver and here in Auckland. The community is super important because I think a lot of the times people think – your closest is always blood related. And I think for me, it's super important that your community are the people that you kind of can open up to the most mm. and also vice versa. So there's a lot of trust. The community has helped me a lot in terms of going through my life and kind of the coming of age process and especially in the yeah coming out process also just in terms of like helping me with the direction that I want to go with an life and what is meaningful and but do you know what's the most important thing that the community has done for me what? is that they make sure that I'm okay and it, like that like you know I, I think a lot of the times like people can go yeah go for your dreams blah, blah blah like work hard yeah great your results are amazing but the thing is that I think true community will tell you to like sit down and you know and have have some chocolate yeah, and yeah. <laughs> like please journal <laughs> And journal, you know, and like, yeah, so it's like, I think um, just making sure that you're taken care of. I think mm. that's really important too. Regular listeners will be aware of how I have a word of the year as like an intention instead of a New Year's resolution. And so this year, mine is romance and yours is... Fearless. Yes. Where are you at with that word? How do you feel about it now? If I didn't embody that word, I wouldn't have done half the things on MasterChef. Right. So it's like I'm in a completely new environment. I know no one in the space. You can't practice for anything that's about to come your way. And I'm cooking food that's bold, that I've never seen before, and it's unapologetic. So that to me is fearless. So therefore, I believe that I am living that word. Mm. How do I feel about it now? Exactly that. Mm. Um, mm. It's interesting. It's like a lot of people have asked me, like, how do you feel after coming out of the show? You know, so intense. And I just say I feel more proud. I'm more confident. I'm owning whatever I do have because that is all I have. And just walking into spaces like knowing your own self-worth. What a shift. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fearless. Yeah, because I really can't believe or I can believe that it was your dessert, like 10, 10, 10. And when we first met, you like didn't touch dessert. Yeah, I've actually, I've never made ice cream before two weeks prior to going down and in, into the competition. Like that is fucking, that is insane. Yeah, listen, <laughs> after going through like a couple of months of competition, you know, it's like, you're almost in this like do or die space. And it's so odd. I've never entered fight or flight mode for food before. Like, you know, no one's dying. But it was at a point where I was just like, you know what? Actually, I am good at cooking. I am good at flavor. Like, I am creative. And I can just do all of that in dessert and just literally shock the judges. Or it could just be terrible. But... <laughs> 
either way, it'd be the talk of the conversation. <laughs> so it was, it was just me going balls to the wall. And like, yeah. I didn't hold back at that, like at all on that. And I asked this last time and I want to ask again, how spiritual would you say you are? I think right now, like way more than before. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, like when I first met you, I'd probably say like, I'm like 10%, but then now I'm like maybe like 40 yeah, definitely way more up there. Yeah, yeah, totally. Growing up, I've always used thought and thinking to survive, right? It's like, okay, how do I avoid predators or, by predators I just mean like bullies um, <laughs> or conflict or uh, danger, right? It's, it's always just kind of like analyze the situation, think about the results and kind of based on statistics, how do you avoid yeah. the situation? Very rational, intellectualizing yeah thinking stuff yeah i hardly ever feel because i don't know growing up like in a very you know asian household stoicism and like you know acting tough and just like you having to be i don't know i don't know how to explain it but it's just you have to be a lot you have to be strong Mm. all the time and it's just like i think there's so much strength in feeling vulnerable and just feeling emotional and that's kind of what I've started embodying and when you've like first met me you probably have never seen me cry before right but the fact that like I cried in the space of like you know three times in a day in the finale episode like it just shows like how open I am to just letting feel kind of take the lead and um that's something that I want to like explore more of yeah that is fearless too isn't it I think so Mm. Yeah. So here you are heading into a new phase of your life. What's taking up your headspace now? It's weird. It's like when my mum called me after I won the competition, she was like, congratulations, so happy. Also, avoid all the mean people that will try to like take advantage of you. And right now, I think the main space is like navigating who can I trust and, you know, like... I still want to grow in terms of my career, but also that it comes with a lot of business opportunities, right? And Mm. there's a lot of attachment to that. So I think right now it's just like being selective with who I want to work with and also like foster this genuine growth into something that I feel is is impactful and good for my brand and um, genuinely try to inspire people to either cook or celebrate their cultural heritage or just live their truth. I think you do that with your eyes closed. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to get paid for it too. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, yes. So that would be the ideal? Moving ahead. Mm. Uh, moving ahead. I think I just want to take off bucket lists. To oh, be yeah. Honest. What's on it? One of them is this cookbook deal that I've won. Everyone listening, go buy it when it's out. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That cookbook will obviously represent a lot of me and kind of my live experience, but also like, I want it to be really accessible for a lot of people, regardless of like your background. You should be feeling inspired to cook from it and also being able to build a simple pantry where you can cook a bunch of different foods and make it exciting. Um, I want it to be, again, very accessible so you can get all the ingredients, even from like the international section of like a supermarket. Yeah, That's like exciting. so, the cookbook is is on the bucket list. Um, I definitely want to do more media. I don't know what that is yes, specifically. What kind? Could it be? Um, I think anything that has some kind of impact and shows representation. So ideally visual, because I feel like it's important to have representation. Like we all know that, right? Mm. But 
it's important to visibly see it. Yes. Yeah. So not just hear about it. Yeah. So, you know, potentially Let's TV see your face. Show. Let's see your face on a TV you know, show. Like, let, you know, you know, uh, pick me up. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, I've got things to say. Um, but also, I think, yeah, TV show, a podcast would be great. Wow. That could come later, though. Mm. I want my face out there. Mm. Um, what else? Honestly, trying to live a balanced life. Like, people say, it's going to be crazy. You're going to be so famous. I'm like, yes, but it's only going to be crazy if you make it crazy. And I think trying to understand balance um, is super important. So, and again, it's like my community will clearly remind me of that. So, I think I'll be good on that front too. How good are you with boundaries? With looking after yourself? I think I know when my body is kind of saying, no, you should stop. I think this week I'm just going extra hard because it's like coming straight off the the win. And there's a lot of like great opportunities and in, in marketing at the moment. But I think I know when it's like it's too much or if I can't handle it anymore. I am very aware of my energy levels. And that was a clear tell in the competition as well. Uh, if I feel like I'm not in the mood, I generally would just go to my bedroom in the oh, contestant's really? house. Yeah. God. I, yeah. I'm usually the first one in my own bedroom. Really? Yeah. Oh, man, I wish that they had, like, a... Big Brother yes, camera set up. Yeah, so we could sit, like, a, a separate show. Yeah. Confessions. Yeah. Oh, love so, that. So, yeah, what was happening when the cameras were off? You would go... I, w- I would just... First. I generally would just go to my room. Because you were first. living in a house together, right? Yeah, that so... Would be, that would be chaotic. For me, for I, me mean, I would be like... <laughs> like I mean, it's not like a house house. It's, it's like... It's a B and B, so like everyone gets a room in a bathroom, mm-hmm. and it, there's like external entry points, mm-hmm. so it's not like there's a main door and everyone has to go through it. Oh, yeah. oh, okay. Yeah, so it's that. But the thing is that the communal space is very much shared. Isn't that the kitchen? So, and that's the kitchen and the lounge. So people would take turns booking in sessions into the kitchen to practice. I practiced a few times, not a lot. What uh, did you practice? The steamed cake. Oh, yes. Did you see the steamed cake that I used in the finale dessert? Mm-hmm. So I practiced that. A lot of it was just like listening to others and, and watching them practice. Mm-hmm. And then I just learned from watching. Everyone was quite generous with their time and their knowledge. Um, so we learned a lot from everyone else. I learned a lot about kind of foraging and modernist cooking techniques from a lot of the contestants too. And I'm like really, really grateful for that. Everyone on that show is just so different. And like you could learn so much from just listening and willing to share as well. And yeah. I bet they learn a shit ton from you. I don't know about that. Yeah. Considering, (laughs) I mean, I'm saying from my own personal experience, how I've learned from you. So I can imagine going away for so long, living with you, they would have naturally, I'm sure. I don't know. I can't <laughs> answer that. <laughs> um, but that must have been so intense when you've got all of those energies and you're also being filmed during the day, like really quite full on. Yeah, it's very full on. And that's why it's it was like super important for us to kind of just make sure that we recharge the correct way. And, you know, not everyone <laughs> behaved as they should have, you know. And, oh. um, uh so I think, yeah, it's important that everyone looks after themselves, especially in those type of environments. Yeah. They were really good with, like, checking up on us. So, like, there was always access to someone to talk to. 
And if we needed, we had access to a psychiatrist too. Mm, yeah, that's good. And with the competition, was yeah, was it like you get set an hour, you get five minutes in the pantry, or even less? Sometimes it was like three minutes, right? Yeah. Um, when we first heard about the pantry run and we were getting timed for it, and we couldn't go back, we were all shitting our pants, like. Legit. It was probably the most scariest part of the entire competition. It was just like making sure that you have everything. What they were really good with is that you can actually borrow stuff if like from other contestants if they were willing to. Yeah. Right. Um Yeah. When they say an hour, it's an hour. Like and it's like when they present the challenge. They will rejig the cameras and then it's go. So it's, oh it's God, that just hearing it stresses me out. It's very stressful. <laughs> um, and also, it's it's kind of like a competition where you literally can't prepare for because there's no way you would have tried every single ingredient or scenario that could potentially be thrown at you. Oh God! And with the final, they give you the brief. Can you talk about this? Mm-hmm. That you got the brief the day before. Yeah. So we got the brief the day before. So then, obviously, we can tell the designers to be like, "Hey, this is the restaurant that I want to create. I want chopsticks. I want all these things." Um, and then they'll try their best to get it. And then you basically had one night to prepare the menu. So how long do you think it took you from getting, how many hours would you say, like from getting the brief until like knowing, okay, this is what I'm doing? I think I didn't sleep that night. Oh my God. (laughs) So I probably had like all eight hours. Yeah. So it's just like constant brainstorming and kind of like looking at other restaurants or chefs that I admire and kind of look for inspiration and kind of take like a riff of that. But I think I was cooking a lot from my childhood, so there wasn't a lot of other people I was looking at. Uh, But potentially it's more cooking techniques rather than food ideas. Mm. Mm. What technique did you use on the show that now on reflection you're like, holy fuck, I did that? I've never used sous vide before, before going on the show. Is that like that water bath thing? Yeah, so (laughs) sous vide is essentially like uh, keeping a product in a bag in a constant temperature controlled uh, water bath. The reason with that is that so then it never exceeds its temperature. So you never technically overcook the product. Yeah, so I used it for my strawberry jus that I did Mm -hmm. uh, to extract the strawberry juice. Um, And I've never made like a meringue before, like... Basically, all those desserts I've, like, not made before. What the fuck? Yeah. But, I mean, like, isn't it so great that, like, all the guest judges were, like, POC and they cooked, like, really interesting They were all POC. Yeah, they were all POC. Monique Fiso. Yes. Michael Meredith. Yes. And Sid Sarawat. Amazing. Yeah. I think they were consciously doing that. Really? Yeah. All of those dishes were, like, incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the they were hard. <laughs> they they looked they looked hard. Yeah, they were very very hard. Yeah. Would you do it again? Be on the show to compete like fully again? Or if there was like a fans was favorites, right? Oh no, actually, I don't think I don't think winners can go back. Anyways, I wouldn't do it again. <laughs> the reason come. the reason for that is because like you're doing that for the experience, right? Mm. Like I don't know, like for someone who wants to just go in there just to win, then yeah, go hard. Like keep keep doing it. Um, go go you. Yeah. Um, for me, it wasn't about that. You know, for me, it was like representation and tell my story. But you know, who would have thought that was good enough to win? Mm. And um, and I've done that. So like, th- if I did it again, it wouldn't be the same experience. Yeah. It would be a disingenuous story. You've done what you needed to do. Yeah. And you won. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> 
Shall we pull a tarot card? Oh, I bought. So what I bought? I is bought, this a section in, in well, your podcast? Can you okay, make this maybe. a section and then have like a jingle? <laughs> a jingle. Yeah. So I bought a tarot deck and I also bought the pleasure oracle deck. Oh, love Which pleasure one? oracle. <laughs> Would you like them? Girl, I'm very single, so okay. Should we do a pleasure oracle card? Yeah, of okay. course. We'll see what happens. I keep getting like the one that says "hungry like a wolf," and I'm like, I know, thirsty. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll just get you to shuffle. Yeah. Do you want to explain why do we have to shuffle? Is it just to spread energy across the deck? Yeah, getting your energy infused with those cards. This is the pleasure oracle that I was given by Sonia Renee Taylor herself. Oh, wow. So, yeah, this deck is about empowering prompts for sex, intimacy, and pleasure. I haven't had any of those in a long time. (laughs) Uh, I will uh, pull this one. Okay, let's have a look. What did I get? This is what it says. Who benefits... Oh, this is interesting. Who benefits from your shame? Think about it. What forces of oppression want to see you small, shamed, and unworthy, and why? This is your invitation into a deeper understanding of the social structures of shame. The more you know where it comes from, the more you realize this shame is not your own, and it's not permanent. Okay, so this is the action of the card. Shift it by showering yourself with unconditional love and rich adoration. Mm-hmm. Worthiness is a muscle that must be exercised to become stronger. Actively disengage with ideas, people, and imagery that would have you doubt your worth. Your sensuality is part of that worth. It's time you claim it. Yo, that's literally like coming off the show. Yeah, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think for too long, it was, I, I always defined my self-worth from other people, right? And like, especially in my sexual life or in my relationship. And I think if I didn't get any matches on Tinder or anything on Grindr, like, therefore it's like, oh, I'm not worthy of love. So I'll just take anything um, because that's the only love I deserve, right? So now that I'm off all these apps and mm. it means that I'm not meeting new people. So I have to like, try on your podcast. <laughs> Um, like, yeah, yeah, totally. It's, it's just after the show, it's like, I've got this newfound boost of confidence and, um, self-worth that it's like, it's like kind of like real high now. So it's kind of like, mm, am I undateable? <laughs> I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. Can, give me that card again. Sorry. Let's okay. have a look. Is it this one? Yeah. This one? Yeah. yeah. So worthiness is a muscle that must be exercised to become stronger. I was exercising that a lot in the show. Yeah, and it says actively disengage with ideas, people, and imagery that would have you doubt your worth. What? That's deleting Grinder and Tinder. <gasps> you know, but if those apps work for you, then go for it. Go for it. You know, it's like I'm not telling you to not do those things. But I think as a queer Asian man on those apps, mm. it is so objectifying, and I think it, oh, it so much mental health problems attached to that. Like I would not, I wouldn't use those apps. Anymore. Anymore. Mm. Yeah. So we're going to go try an old-fashioned way. Or maybe you'll meet someone through Asian Aotearoa. <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't worked for me, but maybe it'll work for you. Are you listening? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I make really good food. Um, um. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. So how might you shower yourself with unconditional love and rich adoration? What things might that involve? Honestly, it mm. is just like, it's like what I think is self-care, yeah. right? Which is like doing things that I enjoy on my own without other people. It can be with other people, but 
I don't need the other person to bring me joy. And I think um, that's really important. I also need to spend more money. Yes. Yeah. I can help you with that. Yeah. <laughs> because it's like, it's like, I think growing up with like parents who definitely put money as the forefront of most decisions mm. in, in life, being conscious of how much I spend and how it hinders the joy I feel for certain things. Like I, I think it's like stemmed from childhood. And I think right now it's like, if I just want to eat certain things or like drink a can of soft drink that I think might cost more than the other brand, like I normally wouldn't go for them, but then now I'm like, actually like I deserve this. So it's like, it's little steps, but there are steps, right? Little things. Yeah. Telling the universe. Yes. Yes. I deserve. How do you feel about claiming your sensuality? Your sensuality is part of that worth. It's time you claim it. What do you think? How do you feel about that? I think it's like presenting sexuality that is authentically yourself. And I didn't do that for a lot of times. And my, okay, is this TMI, my sexual history? I don't no. know. Well, well, <laughs> well, well se- sensual doesn't need to be sexual. N- no, but I, I think it plays a role in that, right? Like, you know, like I think if I were to meet someone that I can sense was more attracted to masculine acting bodies, Therefore, I would put on a more mask version of myself, you know, and and vice versa. So it's like right now, I'm just like, oh, I'm too tired to do that. I just, I just want to be me. Mm. Yeah, I just want to lay there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, but like, but do you know what I mean though? Like, as in, like, I just, I just want to kind of like just be there authentically, and like, what you see is what you're gonna get. Mm-hmm. And I've not done that for a very long time. It goes back to like societal repression or mm. like expectations and letting other people kind of determine your value and what you should be and shouldn't be, right? So then it just goes back into that. So who are you trying to attract romantically? Romantically? Yeah. Who am I trying to attract? Uh, okay. I'm really attracted to curious minds who are really into art, right? You don't have to create I think you don't have to constantly consume, but I think understand art as a form of self-expression. And like, I find that so hot. Yeah. I feel like I know you well enough now. I'm like, yes, Sam is attracted to like curiosity, generosity. Oh yeah, generous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But not even like money, right? But like time and like effort. Like, yeah. I mean, money's nice. (laughs) (laughs) I think because, you know, growing up, physical touch is, like, not embedded in any of my life. You know, like, my parents... I can't remember the last time my parents hugged me. I think it goes for a lot of Asian parents. Yeah. Yeah, physical touch and words of affirmation is not a thing, right? Mm. And it's like, now as I get older, I crave those things because I haven't gotten any of them. Mm-hmm. You know? So it's like, yeah. Affection. Affection. You know, someone... I just want someone who'd be like, hey... You look so good today. And just want to, like, hold your hand. You know, like, <laughs> is that so yeah. hard to ask? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, is my God. Is so hard to ask? Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. And, like, the thing is, like. <laughs> the, I feel like the bar is on the floor. Like, we just want a nice guy. Hold <laughs> a fucking hand. Yeah. Um, you know what? Like, I could do without sex. I just want aftercare. You know, <laughs> it's the cuddles. It's the cuddles. Like, that's all oh. I want. Like, yeah, that's all I want. Is that too much to ask? <laughs> <laughs> Is that too much to ask? Oh my god! You mentioned on the show food identity. Yeah, talk to me. Food identity to me is kind of food that embodies you and your life experience, right? I think quite similar to like if someone was to say to a painter, it's like paint something 
that tells me about yourself, right? And it doesn't have to be you in a house in the country you're born in, right? You, you just paint something that like expresses that. And for me, my food identity is very clear. And mm. I can own that and say I'm very proud that I'm able to unlock that as an art form of self-expression. Because I think the food that I cook, n- not even just on my show, but just like for myself and for my friends, is very much uniquely me. Like I'm not comparing myself to another dish or another chef's mentality or I'm not trying to copy something but I'm also not trying to aim for tradition or authenticity because I think those two words have a lot of negative connotation. I think the food I cook is authentic and that is authentic to me Mm. and no one can tell you any other. So like who else can say they've cooked a ginger conduit with a torched power and a power XO sauce? Like, I mean, maybe someone's done that before, but the thing is that the gingery congee base that I've made is uniquely something that I've developed. And like the power technique is something that I've kind of seen in Japan. And like, I admire the exo sauce is like something that I've been developing for a long time too. So all these things are like specifically mine mm. and my child memory attached to that congee. It's food that no one else can create from scratch without having to see it first. That congee, is that what you made on Sunday? Yes. Oh, I didn't make power because power's expensive. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. But like the rest of it, it was really good. Okay. Yeah. And do you know what? I had a friend who's of Taiwanese descent, like who was at the at the Rex. Um, yeah. yeah. Shout <laughs> he was out at to the Rex. party. Shout <laughs> out to Rex. Um, he tasted congee and he said that was the best congee he's ever had. You know, and that's coming from someone who eats a lot of congee. Yeah. You know, and it's like, that's interesting because it's like, he's tasting my lived experience in a bowl. He can connect through it, through his childhood memory. But therefore, for him to say it's the best he's ever had means that I don't like the word elevate. But what I've done is that I've added extra to it that makes it more interesting and more exciting. Mm. Yeah. And it's so funny, you know, when you... When you try and when you have hosted a potluck and you're like, <laughs> you're like, bring a dish that <laughs> represents you. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to bring some KFC. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? I thank you for that. Um, I love a wicked ring. Um, yeah. It's like, yeah, I remember that. Like that was the premiere of MasterChef. Uh, and I asked everyone at the potluck to bring something that represents who they are. And I think that's, like, special, right? Like, and honestly, like, a box of Wicked Wings is a good time. So. Uh, yeah, and so that leads me on to, I remember you saying, I think you listened, you heard on our podcast, because, I mean, I, I would say that my cooking has improved since being friends with you. Yay. But in general, I've always been like, oh, I'm cooking is just not for me, blah, blah, blah. And then you mentioned that you'd heard on that podcast, it's like um, something to do with, like, self-care, self-nourishing, right? What was the thing? Mm-hmm. Remind me. It was that... We make excuses to not cook because we think we don't deserve good food. It, yeah, it totally goes back to self-care yeah. and self-love. Yeah. It's like, you know, when we kind of say, because, okay, let's go back, right? Cooking is one of the most human things we could do, right? Like, there's no other animal that does it. It takes time and it takes effort, mm. right? So if you are spending time and effort to nourish yourself, that is self-care. Yeah. Right. So if you want to actually love yourself a little bit more, I think you should cook for yourself because that's totally it. And people who say, I'm too busy, I don't have time, cooking's expensive. I mean, it is expensive. Bullshit. (gasps) Because like food costs, 
you could totally make a really delicious meal super cheap. Yeah, that's true. Well, with your help. Yeah. <laughs> like you can help go me, out, Sam. Help like, me. Yeah. <laughs> like you can make a delicious bowl of like you know like grilled chicken on rice with a veggie side, right? That you could make that for like under four dollars. Yeah. But then you'd happily pay that for seventeen dollars at a at a shop. You're right. I know. Yeah, I remember when you said that, and I was like, oh my god. Am I calling you? I out? feel attacked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it. People, yeah, it's it, it's interesting. It's like people really shy away from cooking because mm. they feel like they're not deserving and also they are just intimidated. But mm. the thing is that once you start and you progress, like here's a tip for if you want to start cooking. Add one new ingredient to your pantry every week. By a year, you would have 50 items in your pantry. And that is a lot of flavors. That is a lot of ingredients. It doesn't sound like much a week, but honestly, it changes your food. A lot of people ask me, why do my food taste all the same all the time? Yeah. And it's because you're using the same ingredients to season your food. Yeah. And so, you know that nice salt that you got me? I just got you like literally <laughs> flaky sea salt. <laughs> but it's better than the, what I was using, right? Absolutely. Well, I tasted the difference. Was really it, it was really good. It's not just taste, it's texture. It was right? nice. It's like it a was slight really, crunch. It yeah, adds more interest it was, yeah, to your yeah, food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's actually like less salty than other salt. It was it was really good. So thanks. It's the little thing. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anything else? Oh, so I was talking to my book publisher mm. recently, and we were talking, and then I said, I constantly look overseas for inspiration. Because there's not a lot of people cooking food like me in New Zealand, mm. uh, especially in the in the Chinese context. You know, not a lot of people are cooking food that's assimilated into the environment and showcasing their own lived experience. A lot of it is from like authenticity and tradition. It's like my mom's recipe, my my grandma's recipe. That's great, but. I think there's so much more and there's so much more interesting flavors that can happen when you let go of that. Like hang on to it as inspiration, but the thing is that you can build onto that. And that's kind of a big way of like my thought process in terms of cooking food. I take something that I'm really, really familiar with and then like I add my twist to it that I think makes it more exciting. So we were just talking about like kind of the cookbooks that I look at and the mm. type of chefs that I, I look at as well. And they're all based like in the US or Australia where they have opened up restaurants that are like Michelin star and they're modern Chinese. And I think they really represent kind of the areas that they've been brought up. And I think we could learn a lot from that. So anyways, so these are the people that I'm quite inspired by. So like Brandon Jew, who owns Mr. Jews in uh, San Francisco's Chinatown. It's a, it's a one Michelin star Chinese, modern Chinese restaurant. The food is not like super crazy, but it adapts to the environment. And I think there's something beautiful about that in what he does. There have been two uh, people from Chinese descent uh, who have won Top Chef in America as well. Uh, Mei Lin and also Melissa King. Yeah, Melissa King and Maylin. They both won Top Chef in the US in different seasons. And they, again, cook from the heart and they assimilated Chinese food and then they talk about their food stories. Not to my extent, because I basically only talked about that on the show. Um, but they were professional chefs. And, you know, these are the people that I look up to. But more recently, I've been really inspired by Salil Ho. So she is, she slash they, is a queer Asian food critic based in San Francisco for The Chronicle, which is a huge 
huge publication. And for her to even have that position in the US means progress. Mm. Why I love her so much is that she's so bold and confident and just like unapologetic with what she writes about and says. Her first ever essay that she wrote as the head food critic was on the consumption of dog meat around the mm. world and about the culture around that because it's it's mainstream in certain countries but it's so it's weaponized in western society you know and i think that's like that's making progress and that is sparking conversations and mm. i think that's what we need to do a little bit more of but i honestly think you know representation matters like oh we've heard it so many times but the thing is that it's important to put representation in positions of power and you know if for me like i think it's important for representation to be in food spaces because that in itself is impactful for food communities and therefore goes back into cultures. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Finish these sentences. Yes. I'm releasing. A cookbook. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what did you want me to say? I'm releasing positive energy and love. No, I would say like oh. I'm releasing like letting go of. Oh. <laughs> okay. I'm letting go of, I'm releasing self-doubt. That's going to be hard, but I'm releasing it. Great. I'm celebrating. My win, but also newfound respect for myself. Oof, yes. Okay. I'm excited about. All the amazing opportunities and people I will meet very, very soon. And potentially people that inspire me. Yes, amazing. Okay. Oh, and at the moment, so you're in the process of putting together your cookbook? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's going to be a long process and, mm. like, a lot of people will be involved. <laughs> Honestly, like, releasing the cookbook isn't for me, right? It's like, I want to release this cookbook for other people to celebrate this food identity and, like, everything that I believe in and also just to have a book that people actually reach for and cook from. Like, I want it to be dirty. Do you know what I mean? Like, I want people to, like, have, like, stir-fry stains on it because they're, like, using it. Do you mm, know what I mean? Mm. Like, this is a cookbook that I want. And I can't do that without, like, other people's input. Mm. And, like, I, I talk about this all the time. It's, like, everything that I've had the most success from is from a community of people that have been behind me. Mm. And I'm hoping that your listeners will will comment as well, like and and write and DM to me, like kind of things they would like to see in the cookbook. Obviously, it'll be very Chinese focused, um, <laughs> but yeah, things like recipes or like concepts or um, certain types of essays that you'd like to see in the cookbook. Like, I would love to hear from all of you because y'all are woke if you're like on this podcast and listening to it. <laughs> so love y'all. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, that's it. So thank you very much for coming back. How exciting. That was thank fun. you for having me. Yay. Yay. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you liked that, please share this episode with a friend. Follow Asian and Aotearoa on Instagram for updates. And if you'd like to support the podcast, there's a link in the show notes for that. Thanks. Thanks.